Hey guys. Hey. Hey gentlemen. How are you? What's it? Good. I'm doing well. How are you, sir? I'm doing all right. My mom just called me. She's on a vacation in Australia. Um, oh. And uh, she just called me from my dad's phone because her phone apparently something's wrong with her Apple ID, and she's convinced that that's preventing her from getting on the internet. So she can't confirm her Apple ID online. So she called me from my dad's phone so that I could work through all of that like 10 minutes before we hopped on here. So Oh, that's fun. <laughs> does she, she want to she can come on the the episode? I was going to I was going to going to suggest that, but um she was uh, a little flustered. Like she a was a little flustered. Corner. She might need to just take a couple breaths and then realize that she's in the middle yeah, of this beautiful landscape and shouldn't be staring at her phone, but mm-hmm. uh, yeah. That's funny. But uh, you know, we could if we did a tech support episode, like half of it would be hold music, you know. <laughs> Hey. Uh, happy Tuesday, guys. Um, happy Tuesday. Before we, before we begin today's show, I kind of just, you know, we play a lot of music. We talk about a lot of stuff. Um, I just kind of, I wanted to reiterate some of my principles, and I hope it's your principles as well, for new listeners to the show. You know, we have a big commitment to diversity and inclusion and making sure that a lot of all the different musical voices from across the world are 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 heard and i just want to let you guys know nick and greg that i'm never going to censor your music picks so please you know feel free to to really stretch your boundaries and you guys can do anything from mongolian throat singing to steve reich pieces to you know abstract canadian folk art Whatever you're into. So, so with that said, I just want to get that off my chest. With that said, Nick, you got the first pick. What's what's your what's your pick today? Yeah, yeah. Um, so, um, I'd like to uh, to play an artist that. Um, uh, actually, you know what? I want you to just roll it. I think it's uh, I think it speaks for itself, really. Okay. Can't wait. Roll it. That was uh, future Hall of Famers, the Doobie Brothers. Yeah, welcome I, to um, this is uh, Doobie Town yeah, discussion yeah, of all uh, things Doobie Brothers. Yeah. So mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. this is a bootleg from uh, summer nineteen seventy four. We all remember that one. That's right, baby. That was a good tour. Yeah. Right, right. But I mean, through. but awesome, right? You guys wouldn't vote for that for Hall of Fame. I mean, you know, I, I, I like to I like to play the Doobie Brothers. Uh, you know, sometimes in different cover bands. You know, Don't you patronize me. 
don't All right. well, patronize me. I mean, I, I love to play Doobie Brothers when I'm getting paid. Yeah. But, uh, yo, I wanted I to bring like up... I only like their early stuff, man, before they got big. <laughs> uh, I wanted to bring up uh, our last uh, discussion about the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame because I was, I was listening to Howard Stern yesterday and they did like the exact same bit. Are you serious? Yeah, I'm totally were the, serious. Were the they were, they were like slightly, but not tremendously. Um, yeah. Howard Howard was like Nine Inch Nails, is, you know, is genius. Like they should rename the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame the Nine Inch Nails Hall of Fame. <laughs> so things like that, you know. Uh, the only difference was he was asking strippers, you know, for their Rock and Roll uh, Hall of no, Fame. No, picks. no, no. <laughs> no, just him and Robin. Okay. <laughs> Bye, I'm not going to mention any specifics on anything, but I don't think I had a single conversation about that topic with other people that wasn't contentious as hell. So oh, wow. um, yeah, it does bring in, up a, in it, a lot of interesting. It really things. does. It really does. So I'm looking forward to uh, looking forward to some hate mail. That'll be good. Um, <laughs> so be I think I'm up first this week. Yeah, right? go for it. Uh, well, before you do that, we should probably properly introduce the show. This is oh, that's right. You are listening to. You should check it out. Not welcome to Doobieville. Uh, my name's Jay. <laughs> I'm Nick, and I'm Greg Doobie. <laughs> oh. No, we're doing last brothers. name. That's All right. right. <laughs> well, I, uh, you know. I, I no, want to make sure it's out people. there now. And it's it just sounds redundant now. if we just do Jay Doobie, Nick Doobie, and Greg Doobie. So. <laughs> we are brothers. Right. Yeah. So, Nick, Indeed. what uh, Doobie Brothers topic do you have uh, for us this week? Thank you so much for asking. Actually, no. No. This past, uh, this past Friday, I took my wife and my three children, three boys. I've got a nine-year-old, a six-year-old, and a five-year-old. And we went ahead and saw a concert. And an honorary child. Me. I thought you were brothers. <laughs> yeah, we're brothers, right? For Rock this show, I was along. I was just tagging along as an honorary child, so ah, I can get I in see, for uh, reduced okay. price. All right, we'll stop interrupting your father. All right. We went and saw uh, we went and saw Bon Iver perform <laughs> at the mm. uh, Anthem in D.C. Oh. And yes, and Jay, you were there as well. So was not. We had a conversation and pardon was not. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, it's good to know you're going to be helpful during this segment. But uh, <laughs> yeah, so I've been uh, real. I hadn't seen him before. I'm, I'm a huge fan. I'm preface by saying that coming out of his latest album, uh, which is which is not by my favorite. It, I, I do like it, but definitely not my favorite of the four. I was really curious to see how this got kind of inter- interwoven into the to the live performance because he's got a very hard to pin down sound in my opinion. And that changes even more when they go into a live performance. And my first thought coming out of the the newest album was, okay, this is going to be a lot more accessible and and doable on stage. You know, these are are more straightforward songs. And I I will say that it was a fantastic show. Very different, very different watching a band with your kids there, because there's just the split, (laughs) the split attention. Uh, You just can't, give yourself entire but at the same time you get the benefit of being able to see it through and your kids eyes which I, is and i awesome. will also say let it be said that your kids were immaculately well behaved you know mm-hmm. they <laughs> i was very Appreciate impressed that. i was very <laughs> impressed because you spent the entire day with your family in washington dc before the show yeah we went down early and, and did the museum so that's stuff, a long yeah. day period and then mm-hmm. if you try to tack on you know <laughs> a standing room show uh, <laughs> at yeah. the end of the night, that's... we clocked in about four miles worth of walking that day. So it was, oh, yeah, they man. were uh, they were done. They were done by the end of it. And near the end of the concert, I was like, I'm starting to feel like this was 
maybe this is pushing them too hard. <laughs> this, is, mm-hmm. this is a lot for these little guys in one day. But you know what? They're never going to forget it. They're never going to forget that. Just like I don't forget seeing Rush when I was like five or six. And I still wow. remember being on my dad's shoulders. And then he got tired and put me on my uncle's shoulders. And then they, he got tired and nice. put me back up. You know what I mean? It's That's just, great. Uh, and I'm sure I bawled and acted like a jerk at what, certain points. Um, what did the kids think? They thought the whole thing was like a magical day of that. Because we didn't even tell them until oh, really? that morning oh nice. No, nice didn't even tell them so the whole thing was kind of a kind of a surprise as much as we can do that but i don't jay what did you think what did you think of the actual concert i i mean i'm i'm a little conflicted I, before i start i mean i want to say that it was a a master class in the technical execution of the show so no matter what mm-hmm. the fact that he was able to pull off that show with that band is just remarkable. I mean this the amount mm-hmm. of triggers that they had going on. I'm sure they were all playing to a click. The amount of different sounds, the amount of effects that were being triggered in real time. You know, the one that that jumped out to me was his keyboard player, one of many keyboard players just picked mm-hmm. up a harmonica, a chromatic harmonica in the middle of one of the songs. And he was doing this thing, even that harmonica part, just parts of it got sampled and then run through, you know, some kind of digitizer. And then we were talking about, there was one part where Justin Verner was playing a guitar solo and he would play these chords and play them in weird times. So it wasn't a repetitive thing. And then at the end of that chord, like after it it started to die away, somebody would grab that sample of the end of the chord and then, you know, screw around with it. So that's Just the last note of whatever he was doing, yeah. You know, that wasn't automated, so they have to have somebody on the side of the stage doing that. So it's mm-hmm. just, I mean, I was fascinated the entire night just trying to figure out how in the world they did that. And he's got those yeah. musicians so well drilled, and it's a great band. The keyboard slash harmonica player was also sitting behind a full drum kit that you could not really see from our vantage point. Really? Oh, wow. There were two drummers, yeah. So, yeah, that was that was uh, Sean. Okay. I can't remember the full name. Yeah, but, but um, I mean, it was, uh, it was strange. I I vacillated. I went back and forth. You know, some of the songs that, you know, obviously the more rocking songs, he was able to get the whole crowd moving. It was a strange mix of people at the venue. Now, first of all, it was packed. It was like four nights sold out. Uh, Mm -hmm. But it was kind of a collection of, you know, aging hipsters and some newer kids that looked like they were going to a rave. Mm -hmm. Sounds like Mm -hmm. DC. Yeah, a little bit. (laughs) Yeah. So it was weird, you know, you could tell he was playing to different parts of the audience throughout the night, Um, Mm -hmm. and some parts I felt like were more successful than others, but it's hard for me to get fully immersed into that band just because of the amount of electronic stuff that's going on. And that probably just, you know, signifies me as an old fogey, but... Well, no, no, that was my my biggest... I didn't connect to it as much, but yeah, go ahead. There were definitely times when I was fully connected to the point that I was like, you know, neglecting my kids needing... Oh my God, and and Creeks. Um, I mean, Creeks was worth the price of admission in and of itself. To hear him do that song was like chills up and down my spine, man. It was fantastic. Yeah, Yeah, that was was awesome. I do wish we would have been a little more center centered so we could have seen everybody yeah. um, but I, I would i couldn't recommend it enough even just for a handful of those moments but i was surprised how much they played the tape from the new stuff like how much of that ended up being samples that were just triggered mm-hmm. i think that was the one thing that and, and that's obviously they they let off their their opening three songs were from the new album yeah i i, uh, I had to get myself away from like thinking too much about whether or not that bothered me so that I can enjoy the rest of the show. Yeah. But I don't want to beat this one into the ground and I've already taken my time. But yeah, yeah it was a fantastic concert. I, I do love the guy's music and I, I, I love the way he thinks about his songs and the it's just very fresh to me. But then there's something that 
there's, you know, there was moments you could hear like the Peter Gabriel and, and you know what I mean? Just all these mm-hmm. different influences that kind of come out. There were times when it felt like straight up, it was just like a, like a hip hop concert um, with yeah. just all the samples going on and kind of, but I thoroughly enjoyed it. If for no other reason than I can't, I can't really liken it to any other concert well, experience I've had. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, one of the industry standards now is that, you know, if you're a band like that and you're playing to a click and there's video in, you know, incorporated with the, with the thing, they will go into a studio and record the whole live set wow. ind- individually. Wow. Mm-hmm. And so all those parts are actually in the board in case, like for, for one reason, just in case an instrument goes out, wow. they still have it like ready to go. Okay. And uh, that's be- kind of becoming the thing now. That's you know? amazing. So they had um, this guy to that point. I mean, they had this guy over on stage left. I mean, it was a full size mixing board. Initially, uh-huh. I thought he was just doing the monitor mix, but he's he sat way closer than a than a typical monitor mixer would. And I I, I think that he was probably doing that role that Greg was just talking about, playing those tracks along with the rest of the band and bringing them in where where it needed to be. I definitely think I definitely think certain parts of certain songs. That's absolutely the case. That that was it was pre-arranged and everything there were definitely i think the majority of the concert actually the night before bruce hornsby came out oh, yeah. and they just kind of jammed for a while <laughs> so i think there's yeah but that's the thing is it, it is this like confluence of all these different new standards and yeah. techniques and um it's a show you know it was it's not it was, really a, it was incredible it really was it was a great show yeah. and uh, yeah and gr- great performer too i don't know if that comes through a lot in his recorded music but he's Really a fantastic musician and a fantastic performer. Mm-hmm. So, right on. Speaking of fantastic musicians and p- fantastic performers, Greg, that was not a lead yeah. into you, that's, Greg. It's, it's about a... your topic. Tom mm-hmm. Petty. Oh, oh, no, I'm just going to... That was really nice of you, Jay. Oh, okay. Yeah, I know. I'm a sweetheart I today. What can I say? <laughs> what you got, Greg? Well, I noticed an article talking about how there was a burglary at, um, I believe it was some kind of storage facility in San, Fern- San Fernando Valley where Tom Petty kept some guitars and some various things and, and, and some guns, actually. Right, which, right. Uh, ironically, kind of brings me to a... I mean, if you just want to have a flashback, um, <laughs> Jay and I and Nick, you know, the three of us, the year we met was 2000. Mm-hmm. And then uh, summer of 2001, it was our freshman year of college. And uh, Jay went back home to Pennsylvania, and I was in uh, Bethesda, Maryland. And I invited him to come crash uh, at my folks' place while, while you know while I was uh, while we were in between semesters at school. And so he came down, and we were like just sitting there, like, "Well, what do you want to do?" And I was like, "I don't know. Uh, there's this vintage guitar store called Southworth just down the street. Do you want to take a ride and check out some vintage gear?" And he was, <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. He was down. So we went to the store and, you know, ding, you, you know, you open the door. It's just like a very small, very, very small, small place, place, but just loaded with like guitars we couldn't afford. And I mean, when I say guitars we couldn't afford, I mean like $10,000 guitars. Like it should, it was practically a museum. And the guy, I didn't used to go, I used to kind of avoid it because it was just kind of depressing. Like you'd go in there, you'd see all this cool stuff that you would never <laughs> be able to get. And not only that, but the people in there were pretty pompous and say things like, oh, you know, Eric Clapton calls us like three times a year asking us if we'll sell this amp right. to him. But we always say no. You know, and I'm just like, whatever, dude. Um, but uh, so it was just Jay and I on like some Tuesday afternoon in the summer. We're looking at stuff and like we're in there five minutes and then we hear ding, you know, door opens and Jay taps me on the shoulder. He goes, dude, Tom Petty just walked into the store. And I was like, no way. And I mean, I wasn't at the time. I mean, I'm a huge 
Petty fan now. At the time, I was kind of more of a metalhead, but I knew who that I knew who the fuck Tom Petty was, you know. But it didn't look and, uh, like Tom Petty per se. I may not have told you immediately because I wasn't sure. He had on this like crazy straw hat, that's right, and like this like really like tattered old Hawaiian shirt, and he was walking around with a limp. So I wasn't sure. Um, but you know, the way I finally confirmed it, I walked up to him and and I finally asked him, "Hey, so were you Tom Petty?" And he responded. <laughs> Every day of the week, which is just the greatest response. I mean, <laughs> that's perfect. Yeah, man. And I suppose you get to practice that a lot, but that's yeah. so It was great. And and then basically what happened next is that we had like the whole store to ourselves and Tom Petty. Yeah, man. For like an hour. It was insane. It was like, it was maybe more than that because we weren't about to leave. <laughs> you know, first of all, we had nothing did, to do. Did you guys just walk around watching him? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Do what well, he needed to well, do? Well, no, we were like, oh, we were right. like picking up guitars and like checking him out. And then like, you know, he would come up and be like, oh, you guys like that one? You know, he'd be like, yeah. He asked me. <laughs> he, he, this <laughs> Tom Petty silly. comes up to me and asks me, he said, so what kind of guitar do you play? I'm like, <laughs> I, I swear to I remember it like it was yesterday. I'm like, a Stratocaster? And he's like, that's a really nice guitar. Well, I mean, he must have thought we were some, you know, somewhat no. cool that we were going to the store that he nah, was at. he was just being cool, know? man. Nah. He was just being he a cool guy. Being cool. Yeah, he was just being cool. But, you know, it's it's that whole thing of, you know, he doesn't have to talk to us. He doesn't have to, you know, we're sort of peons in his world. You know what I mean? Right. So, Greg, <laughs> but, where, where, where did you hide his guitars? well the remarkable thing about all of that is that i don't know if you recall this greg but he was actually there with like his manager or somebody that somebody and they were trying to like do you remember he was trying to sell these old like vintage revolvers that's true eventually he started pulling out these magnums (laughs) (laughs) yeah and we were like whoa it was insane (laughs) and uh, i think yeah, I think yeah, I think you're right. Yeah, that's what he was trying to do. I thought he was just showing it. It could have been. But I think that, I don't. Yeah. But but I think you might be right. I mean, I think that that would actually make a lot more sense that he was out there, out there um, negotiating by saying like, "Well, I've got this vintage. You know, you want to sound like this vintage amp? I got this vintage, you know, revolver. Yeah. And he just busted it out. You know, just a gun right in the store. <laughs> Boom. You know, and like he didn't shoot it or anything, but you know, there it is. That's good. And uh, so eventually he left, and then we left, and we were just like kind of buzzing. Obviously, I came back. Uh, well, we both came back to, to the house. I was like, Mom, Dad, we just bumped into Tom Petty at the store. They're like, who's that? Because my parents are French. They don't, you know. <laughs> they, they, they listen to like Serge Gainsbourg. And anyway. Um, <laughs> Tom Petty? Uh, but then the, the next morning. Tom Small. You know, we open up, we open up the, uh, the post, the Washington Post. And there's, there's a big ass picture of Tom Petty at Meriwether Post Pavilion. Yeah. And I was like, that's the guy. That's the guy we saw yesterday. You see what I'm talking about? You know what I mean? Yeah. And, uh, so and just funny. like raving review of his show and everything. And, but I've got Petty on my brain because I'm actually playing a gig uh, in Hollywood on Friday. And uh, there's a Tom Petty tribute night because I guess it's around his birthday this time of year. And the singer that I'm playing with, this girl Kate Ellis, she was trying to figure out a way to do a, the duet, the famous duet that he did with Stevie Nicks, mm-hmm. Stop Dragging My Heart Around. Mm-hmm. And I had a flashback to watching... The Defiant Ones, something that I've brought up on this show before, this great HBO miniseries where they about Jimmy Iovine, this producer. Anyway, he the, they have great footage of Tom Petty and Stevie Nicks recording this song. You want to roll it, Jay? I would love to. I I'd never heard it before. It's a, it's a great pop tune. It's great.
love that song, man. You know, that's actually a Stevie Nicks song, technically. It was only on a Stevie Nicks album. I don't think it was ever on a on a Heartbreakers album. Really? But yeah, no, it's certainly, but I, it's absolutely the Heart, the Heartbreakers with Stevie Nicks. I believe, however, that and, and you're right about that. I think that they said in the documentary that it was actually a petty tune. Oh yeah, no, it absolutely. That he yeah. didn't know that he didn't know what else to do yeah. with. Yeah. So yeah, yeah it's okay. not. Conti- but anyway, so I'm I'm learning this song and I'm thinking to myself like, man, th- I hear all these other songs in this song. <laughs> okay, so I started kind of deconstructing it, and I'm like, okay, the verse is actually the same melody as Ohio by <laughs> you know, Crosby, Stills, Nash and Young. Absolutely. Yeah. It's the same melody. Ohio. It's also in exactly. D. And then uh, there's these oohs that come in in like the second verse, like ooh. I was like, where's that from? That's from something. This, Listen to the music it, by it the Doobie Brothers. <laughs> probably. <laughs> yeah, probably. Which And they took it from Young American by David Bowie. You hear these like ooh, you know? And mm-hmm. it's like the same rhythm, like the same cadence and everything. And then it gets to the bridge, and I'm and it's like the bridge is like the same exact thing as the intro from uh, uh, More Than a Feeling by Boston. It's exactly Absolutely. the same. Yeah. Anyway, I use these tricks to help me remember the tunes that I'm learning because uh, you know I have to learn like ten at a time. But sure. <laughs> that's uh, I thought those I thought that was a funny little thing because that's that, that, that's really the Jimmy Iovine thing too. I think coming through. Yeah, and that's a that's a good hint for all you aspiring and up and coming songwriters. If you're afraid that you're going to be ripping off a song. Just rip off four or five songs in the same tune, and then yeah. you know you can just claim it's like an amalgam of just yeah. this genre. And that's that's the Steve Miller thing too. He talks about how like every song needs like five hooks, <laughs> you know. Well, that's, and, uh, that's and definitely true, true you, for you, Steve Miller for sure. We listen back to his songs. Yeah, you're like yeah, you can pick them out pretty easily. <laughs> so anyway, yo, rest in peace, Tom Petty. Yeah, absolutely. We love you, buddy. Yeah, good stuff, Greg. Indeed. Greg, give give the give the guitars back, Greg. All right. Fine. You had your fun. Incidentally, my memory of that, my memory of that story was that it was on a weekend and you were at Bill's music. Oh so no, it definitely I wasn't. I had that wrong in my head. <laughs> I can tell you, it definitely wasn't Bill's music, but uh, might have been a weekend. Mm-hmm. Well, to complete the classic rock trifecta that somehow we came up Let's with this, this week, it was a it was a big week for the Black Crows and the former Black Crows. Um, mm. A band that has been disbanded since 2014. A band that I am all too intimately familiar with. For those not aware, Jay was in a, a Black Crows tribute band yeah. for a couple years, right? It was close to five years, right? yeah. It's called nonfiction. Yeah. Uh, thankfully, um, that project is over, but we had a lot of fun. And I eventually, at certain points, I reeled you two into it. Actually, mm-hmm. at just one point, we played at Ramshead together, and it was a fantastic time. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. But, uh, yeah, that was great. Yeah, it was funny. Before I was, I joined that band, the Black Crows were just kind of a band that I kind of enjoyed, but I kind of grew to like them more and more and more and more and more. But anyway, the, the big news this week is that their drummer, their former drummer, Steve Gorman, came out with a kind of a tell-all biography, Ooh. which is just, I mean, for Crows fans are kind of salivating because... Yeah. There, when they broke up in 2014, it was kind of unbelievable. They had broken up in 2002, 2001, mm-hmm. and then they were on hiatus till 2005. They came back and they basically toured in, until 2014. And then you started hearing plans that they were going to do a 25th anniversary tour and then call it quits. Then the band just broke up. And, you know, rumors were at the time that it's because Chris Robinson, the singer, one of the brothers, demanded 75% 
of all proceeds from the band or he wasn't going to tour. So that's one of those things wow. that like you hear, what you hear the rumors douche. of and you're like, there's no way anybody would actually, but according to Steve Gorman in the, in his book, that's actually what happened. But wow. I mean, the story for that is that Chris just really didn't want to do it anymore. Um, and so it was just making mm. a bunch of unreasonable demands. But it's so sad because it's, to hear Steve Gorman tell it, it's basically he he had his wife write an email to the entire band saying, "These are Chris's terms. If you can if you accept them, then we'll do it. If not, we're done." And so he said it was like this four or five paragraph, you know, long screed about all the things that all the ways that he's been wronged and all the things that are karmically out of balance with the Black Crows. And the band just got together and had their lawyer write like a one-line response email saying, your terms are not accepted. (laughs) And that's that's basically the end of the Black Crows. Uh, To hear Steve Gorman tell it, he's done. Um, He doesn't think that the brothers have talked together since. Rich and Chris have talked to each other since then. Wow. However, the story, the the plot thickens because since Steve has written that book and it's been released, now it sounds like Chris and Rich are going to tour again with a different Black Crows lineup behind them Uh, without Steve, which, you know, it's just one of those things. The only thing that can get enemies to unite is a common enemy. It's a common enemy. Right. So now they can hate Steve. So now they can both, enemy of an enemy you know, so is rich a friend, and... Right? Yeah, but it's, yeah. it's also, blood is thicker than water, too. I mean, those guys, it's not like they're going to never talk again, you know? But if Chris Robinson's like a spiteful, very vindictive person. I mean, you know, what, what, what did he call his band when he left the Black Crows? The Chris Robinson Brotherhood. <laughs> right, right, you know? right. Like, exactly. that's not an accident, dude. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah. I'm sure, this, I'm sure in retrospect, I'm sure in retrospect, the 75% was... Uh, me just not wanting to do it, but nah, that's, um, that's, yeah, exactly. It's kind of sounds like it's on par with how he would get when he would get into those modes yeah. or something like that. What the heck do I know though? So, how, how is it, how is it as a fan? Cause that's always been a part of their, I mean, I, Black Crows fan, I, they've always had to dealt with this bullshit drama. I just, right? I just kind of wanted to know I've, I've, I'm done. I've gotten a chance to see them three or four times and sometimes they were great and there's plenty of recorded music and I've played their songs to death. So I feel like I've gotten my fill of Black Crows. I'm good. Hmm. But what's what's interesting about this book is that, you know, he goes back to the beginning days of the Crows. And he makes this interesting case that one of the reasons that the Black Crows kind of had a a rocky 1990s, um, where other bands of a similar genre went on to dominate, like bands like Pearl Jam went on to dominate the 90s, while the Black Crows slowly faded into obscurity. He makes the case that it was because they were just a little bit ahead of the curve in terms of the grunge movement. So uh, Shake Your Moneymaker was recorded in 1989, their debut album, and it was released in 1990. So they were hitting, you know, they're basically the peak of their commercial success before grunge. This is still you know, in 1990, mm-hmm. before all that that stuff came down, mm-hmm. then you know there was a lull until '92 with Nevermind. Then by that time, they had another album out that was more kind of classic Southern rock. So I don't mm-hmm. think that they were ever embraced as a grunge band, even though that's kind of where their tendencies laid. I don't know. What, I, so I'm interested. What do you guys? How do you guys categorize the the Black Crows? I would and say. And has it changed? I, 
my, my, the very first time I ever like met someone who was a Black Crows fan was uh, someone who, like me, was very much into grunge. And then they had, you know, a Black Crows sticker. And I was like, oh, I should check those guys out. But it just didn't stick for me. Mm-hmm. Probably uh-huh. just because I hadn't listened to blues yet, you know? Okay. I sort of went backwards, you know. Once I got into blues music and especially like Led Zeppelin and Stevie Ray Vaughan, and, and then it made sense to me. I was like, oh, that's what these guys are doing. Yeah, yeah. You know, again, my my tendencies tend to be a little bit more, you know, prog, especially in those days, you know. And that's not what they're doing. Uh-huh. Yeah. But uh, like, you know, Chris Robinson, you know, is is he's got this, he's got that twang, you know. It's very American music. Yeah. You know. Well, it's interesting. I don't yeah, think I really explained this too well. You know, I think their tendencies when they were younger, what you know, they were all big REM fans and big alternative music fans. Oh, okay. But because by virtue of the fact that they came out before grunge was a thing, their production company and their producers and their label right. pushed them to be more of a glam rock band, which was what was hot at the time. Oh, okay. You know, so, right, yeah. I can see that. So then they established this fan base of people who knew them as like, oh, the Stonesy, Facey, you know, classic rocker sounding guys. When really that wasn't, to, I mean, to hear Steve tell them tell it, that wasn't what their strength was at the beginning of their career. But didn't they talk about was it Chris pushing them into more of a jam band sound? Yeah, definitely. Once um, once they got into the nineties, and then he and, felt like that also that got away from even where they found like, their sophomore album. Is that your favorite? Oh, by far, yeah, yeah. Southern yeah. Harmony and Musical Companion is a fantastic album, but it's not alternative at all. I mean, it's it's straight Southern classic no, rock. No. Yeah. But it, well, within the context of the interview that we'll put in the show description, it, it sounded like Gorman thought that was where they that was their their sound but that they just never but that was after they had consolidate and that was after they had toured right. on the success of shake your money maker as a class sure, and they sure, they sure. turned into a you know one of the best bands in the world at the time touring behind those like hard rock songs i don't i don't hear a lot of rem in no, those no, guys, no no there's not there's not there's not you know but it, that was especially in the vocals interesting to note that that was an influence yeah, though yeah. yeah so anyway it's yeah. it's a great great book and a great read i'm still not through it i'm about halfway through it and they're a great band you know the black crows are amazing and uh you know songs and some of those guys um some of the guys from the chris robinson brotherhood i just while we're on this topic while we're in this little universe um i thought it would be worth mentioning they have a band called circles around the sun i've heard of them now and uh but sadly the guitar player from that band uh committed suicide a couple months ago oh really oh man and he was he was in the Chris Robinson Brotherhood, and, and his name is Neil Kassan. Oh, sure. I'm, I'm, okay, yeah. Yeah. Oh, wow. And uh, and I saw him play at the Hamilton with Circles Around the Sun. A friend of mine invited me, and uh, I'd never heard of him before, but he was like, you can got to come check this band out, you know? Good, very jam bandy, you know, very Grateful Dead, you know? Right on. That kind of thing. Cool. Well, yeah. uh, to wrap things up, it's my pick this week. Um, so I wanted to play the the other big piece of Black Rose related news is that the Magpie Salute, which is Rich Robinson's spinoff band, which I think I could do another episode on them. I think they, they do a really great job. They've recorded three albums. They just released their newest one. It's called High Water 2. It's really, really pretty good stuff. Uh, it's a great rock record. The musicianship on it is really nice. It's uh it's got a lot of different tones, so it's if if you like rock and you like um, guitar, I guess <laughs> check it out. How much? Well, would you would you say like a Black Crows fan would? Well, of course, but I think it appeals. I think the case I'm trying to make is that it has a broader appeal than that. Than than the brown. Yeah. Ah, gotcha. Okay. But well done. So this is uh, if you like guitar. 
Okay. Yeah. And rock. Yeah. And drums okay. and bass. Mm-hmm. All right. Yeah. Some keywords. So. Yeah. You lost me on. <laughs> well, anyway, this sounds is, pretty groundbreaking. This, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Treading new water here. That's what we do. Yeah. On uh, you should check it out. Yes. Um, well, thank you guys. Uh, signing off. Looks like Ben is awake, which means uh, our time here is through. I gotta go okay. change a diaper. Uh, this song is called hey. "In Here." Thank you, gentlemen, and uh, we'll thank see you, you next week. Next week. Right on, brother. Later. Peace. See you guys. Trying to soak up the sound It surrounds